Amen. God, give us ears to hear what it is that you're going to say to us now in light of the reading of your word. May we receive it, may we hear it, and may we be different because of it. Amen. One of the greatest challenges that I see in ministry is how we deal with people. Ministry is about dealing with people. Is it not? Am I, am I right, brothers? Joe, Caleb, we deal with people often. And some of the worst people to deal with are ourselves. Is that not true, too? Yeah. People often hurt us. People often disappoint us. And this morning, as we come to this passage here in John chapter 10, we see Jesus confronting a group of people who have been entrusted with leading God's people, and they have failed the task. And many of us come this morning probably from different church backgrounds where maybe we've had really wonderful experiences. Have you had wonderful experiences in previous churches? I know I have. Praise the Lord. And maybe many of us would also identify with situations where we would say we've experienced what we would call church hurt. Have you ever been hurt by the church before? Here's the reality of the church, brothers and sisters. We need to hear this and start with this and remember this week in, week out, right now. The church is full of sinners. The church is full of sinners who need a Savior. There is no perfect church, right? That is something we all have to come to grips with. There's no perfect church. The fact is that people, as we come to church week in and week out, we have sin that we are wrestling with. There are churches that are striving, that are really working toward glorifying God in their ministry. And there are some that are not glorifying God it could give a rip less whether or not God is glorified through their ministry because it's really mostly about them. So how do we tell the difference? How do we tell the difference? How do we work together to see the Lord work within the body? The reality is, is that Scripture points us to this truth that there are leaders that he has appointed to lead the church And there are some that are doing that well and some that are not doing that so well. So how do we follow leaders and how do we confront them when they're not trusting in the Lord and going about the Lord's purposes? In all of this, we need to remember what Jesus proclaims about himself, that he is the good shepherd, the supreme leader, the supreme example for us to look up to this morning and every morning as we trust in him to work within the church for our good, and for his glory. So as we come to John chapter 10, you've probably read this passage before, right? I know that I've read this passage many times. I've heard this passage preached in many different contexts. I've actually even heard it preached at funerals, where people say, I am the good shepherd, I lay down my life for the sheep. I think that's a really great gospel connection and all, but I don't think that this is actually a funeral passage. I think that this is a passage for us as the church Because it relates to the Pharisees and how they're leading God's people and the people of God and how they're following Jesus. So John 10 is intertwined with John chapter 9. Okay, So in John 9 last week, we learned a few things. Uh, We first learned that there was this man who was blind and he had been blind from birth. And Jesus encounters him after he's been in the temple in John chapter 8. 
He had been in the temple and he had been teaching people. He had opened up the scrolls. He had been before them. And he had this encounter with the Pharisees where he told them that in him there was truth and freedom. And in light of that response, they said, we are followers of Abraham. Who the heck are you, man? And he responds with, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus proclaimed his authority. He identified himself as the one who had come to rescue God's people. And the Pharisees, in John chapter 8, at the end of this, they begin to get stoned so that they can stone him. And Jesus flees from the temple. He flees from the temple and he encounters the blind man on his way out in John chapter 9. And in John 9, what he does is he sends him, like I said last week in my sermon title, he sent him to the spa after he had made him some wonderful mud and rubbed it on his eyes and sent him to Salome to go and wash. And he came back no longer blind, but as one who could see. As the, the people, as his neighbors were made aware of this, they brought him to the Pharisees. The Pharisees looked at him and said, how did this happen? He said, Jesus made some mud. The man Jesus made mud, he opened up my eyes, and now here I am, and I can see. And they go, well, what do you think of this guy? Right? And he says, he's a prophet. Right? And they don't like that because they don't think that Jesus is one who's actually keeping the Sabbath. The text gives us this little note that this encounter happened on a Sabbath day. The Pharisees are trying to figure out ways to condemn Jesus. They've already plotted to kill him according to John chapter 5. And now there's this great tension that's building. And this man stands before the Pharisees who then don't believe him in what has happened to his life. They don't celebrate the miraculous work of God and they call on his parents. Right? His parents get called to the principal's office. They come in. They're sharing this news. And they say, yes, indeed, he was blind from birth. But he's old enough. He can give account on his own. Trust him. He can handle it. Whatever has happened between him and this guy, Jesus, is between him and Jesus. It has nothing to do with us. And so the Pharisees then come again. And they say to this blind man, or the man who was once blind, now give glory to God. We know that this man's a sinner. How did this happen? Jesus didn't do this. Let's, let's straighten this story out. And he responds with, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know, but I do know this, I was blind and now I see. He's been defending himself throughout this entire chapter, trying to establish the account of what's happened, and the Pharisees want nothing to do with it. So then, again, they ask him, how did you become no longer blind? And he says, I already told you, man, and you don't want to listen, Right? This reminds me, there's a, there's a like, TikTok that I follow. It's this guy who's a, a school teacher, and he reenacts kids arguing. And I, I see a lot of this in, that, in this situation here, where you know, the little girl will say, well, I did my nails today. And the other little girl goes, I don't even care. Okay? They're, they're battling back and forth. Heather lives in that reality, right? Kindergarten, right? Yeah, that is your every day. So you should, you should make a TikTok. That's, that's the moral of the story. Um, nonetheless, there's arguing and bickering going on back and forth here. The people are a, a, trying to figure out what's happened. The, the Pharisees and this blind man want to argue, and the blind man stands up to him with boldness and says, this is what has happened. This is what I'm going to do. You're saying this man's a sinner. He at first says, I don't know about that, but he's, then he goes on to proclaim how could somebody who's from God go and do this work? And the Pharisees basically ridicule him, tell him that he knows nothing and he's learned nothing, 
and that he just basically needs to go back home. So the man is kicked out of the synagogue. He's no longer in the community of God's people. He's treated like an outcast, and he encounters Jesus at the end of John chapter 9. And Jesus says to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man responds with, who is he that I may believe? And Jesus says, it is I, I who have been speaking to you. And the man falls down and he worships the Lord. And there's a group of Pharisees that then go on to respond and say, are we blind too, Jesus? And he says in verse 41, if you were blind, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. So he confronts them and says, you have denied me, you've denied my authority, and on you sin remains. And then we get up to John chapter 10, friends. It's on that backbone that we build this passage where Jesus proclaims that he is the good shepherd. The first thing we recognize in verses 1 through 10 is that the good shepherd guards, knows, and leads the sheep. If you're taking notes, verses 1 through 10, the good shepherd knows, guards, and leads the sheep. Notice how he responds. Truly, truly, I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. So we'll, we'll stop right there. First, we see this imagery that's brought to us of Jesus describing someone who is entering a sheep pen in a non-negotiable way. They're coming through the wall, and they're just jumping in, and they are called thieves and robbers. Now, um, I, I've heard a lot of sermons where people spend a lot of time describing shepherds and sheep and sheep pens. So I'm just going to give it to you briefly, because I don't think that that's all of the detail that we really need to focus in. I think it's a picture that's meant to point us to greater detail in the person of Jesus. So, the sheep pen. How many of you have been around sheep before? Okay, all, fellow Lebanonians, there are sheep in Lebanon, right? That is true, okay? There are other towns that are farming communities, but Lebanon has got them all beat. Amen, hallelujah, we've established that, okay? Uh, so if you've been around sheep, they often have to be enclosed in a space because as soon as they're let out of their pen, they like to roam free, don't they? They like to go places where there's water, where there's grass, where they can eat, and Often sheep are a, kind of pe- are a kind of animal that like to go and do their own thing. They need lots of leading, right? And so in other gospel accounts, Jesus has described the sheep and said that there is one that goes off and that he would go and rescue the one and leave the 99. Uh, but sheep, nonetheless, he starts with this illustration where he points to them being in a pen. Now, they would be locked up in a pen, which would either be a stone wall or some sort of fence where they could be kept so that they could be protected and guarded from outside sources, so that they could all be kind of managed within one particular area. Then he says that there is one who is called the gatekeeper. He opens it up to those that are shepherds. And 
he describes a group of people who does not go into the gate, but somebody who climbs over the wall, enters into the fence, and is trying to ramble up and disrupt the sheep. But then he gives us this picture of the shepherd who comes in. When he enters the gate, he then goes before these sheep, and he calls them by name. It's really amazing. If you've ever been around sheep, if you have a relationship with them, I've actually figured this out, with, I think, with cows, too. I think it's kind of similar. If they know who you are, you can just speak to them, and they hear your voice, and they look up, and they, they recognize you. They identify you. Right? Now, imagine a 100 sheep in a little pen. Okay? You open up the door. They're all eating grass. They're happy. They're kind of wrestling around. They're doing their thing, right? And then you get up, and you speak, and they all pop their head up. Right? And they're like, oh! He's here. <laughs> that means a few things to these sheep, right? It means that they're no longer going to be bumping into each other and they're going to get to Rome. But it also means that they get to follow the one who's been leading them to things that they really enjoy. Water, food, and running around and having the times of their lives. And getting into trouble. Much like our kids, right? <laughs> so, the shepherd is recognized by his voice. The sheep recognize the shepherd by his voice, and they listen to him, and they follow him. He says when he goes in, then he goes and he gathers them. He goes outside of the pen, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger because they don't know him. If you have ever tried this with sheep or had somebody try to you know, help you wrangle a sheep back into its pen, it is tough work if they don't know who you are. They're just going to look at you and run, right? Uh, Matt Howell and I figured this out with a cow this past summer. Uh, there's some cows right by our house, and one of them was in the middle of the road. <laughs> so we went out, and I was like, oh, boy, what do we do? And Matt's like, I don't know. And I'm like, well, I'm going to give this a try. So I ran alongside the cow, and I started talking to him. Hey, cowie, cowie, cowie. And you're right. He took a video of this, so you should ask him about the video sometime. It was pretty hysterical. We were on our way to Jeff's house, actually. <laughs> and we were going to go do some finance team stuff. He picked me up on the way, and we encounter a, a roadblock of a cow, right? So we go out, and I'm talking to the cow. Hey, cow, cow, cow. And, right, it, I at least got it to go from the road to across the street, which was a family house, which was connected to my family. I was like, oh, boy, that's not going to work. We need to get him out of here. I want to get him back to his area. And then... Uh, you know, I had to like run beside him. I scared the cow. The cow huffed and started running full speed. And I was like, I'm dead. This is it. And Matt Howell has it on video. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but the, the cow made its way across the street and it eventually made its way back into its pen. Uh, but I found out very quickly, it didn't want to listen to me, right? It was having the time of its life. Once its owner came in, I was amazed at how he could just walk up next to the cow, rub its back, Say, there you go, girl, open the gate, and the cow just walked right on in, right? I mean, I have video embarrassment for the rest of my life. And this guy was able to just come alongside of it, put its arm, his arm around it, and go, here you go. And it walked right back in. The cow didn't know the voice of the stranger. He knew its owner. And Jesus gives the, this figure of speech to the Pharisees and to the people that are gathered here from John 9 and 10. The image that he's trying to present to them, he then goes on to explain in verses 7 through 10. It says that they don't understand, so again he repeats them, Truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. 
He's now saying, I am the way for the sheep to enter in. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Now the strangers are the the people who are trying to jump in and disrupt the sheep. But Jesus is identifying himself as the gate for the sheep, the one who holds them in, who guards them, who protects them, who knows them, who is known by them, who loves them. And now, interesting enough, he says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. And this begs the question for us, does this literally mean that everyone who was before Jesus, who was a teacher in God's people, among God's people, were they all thieves and robbers? And I think what the rest of the Bible would tell us is no. It doesn't necessarily mean that all, that means every single one before them, but that there were those that were prior to Jesus who came around who were rebellious and disrupting towards God's people. And if you'd like to learn some more about that, let me point you to a few books of the Old Testament. Number one, Judges. You want to learn about people who were disrupted by bad leaders? Go to the book of Judges. Why? Because in Judges 23, at the end there, it says, and everyone did what was right according to their own eyes. That usually doesn't end well for people. You can also look at books like Ezekiel, where Ezekiel talks about bad leaders. Malachi 3 and 4, where God actually then goes and he, he rebukes the priests who have been leading God's people astray. You can look at books like Jeremiah, where he constantly is calling out the people's sin, and they'd want to do nothing but kill him. The, the Bible is full of stories of people who want to disrupt the life of God's people. But in Jesus, we find one who knows us, who guards us, who keeps us safe, and one who loves us in a way that these other people cannot. So what do we learn from that? First and foremost, we should learn to appreciate to worship Jesus for who he is. Jesus loves us. He loves us in such a way that he knows us by name. He knows us by name. He leads us. His word is here for us to hear. God has given us godly leaders who exist, elders exist to remind you of the word, to teach you the word, to lead you in godliness. There are godly leaders who indeed can be gifts of the Lord to you. Now, a reality with this is that we are not Jesus, the great shepherd. These leaders are imperfect leaders. They are under shepherds of the good shepherd. We are not the perfect picture of the good shepherd, but we exist to point you to the one who is the good shepherd. So if you're trusting in your leaders to be the people who are Jesus to you, your trust is in the wrong place, friend. Your trust needs to be in Jesus first and foremost to recognize that he is the one who ultimately leads, the one who ultimately cares, the one that ultimately knows and guards his people. And you need to recognize that as he gives under shepherds to this work, 
that while they are good gifts, they are imperfect gifts at that. We are not meant to be Jesus to you. We are meant to point you to him. Brother elders, as we think about this passage, we think about the way that Jesus led the people here. As we think of this illustration to shepherd, we need to know our people. We need to spend time with them. We want to know your lives. We want to know what you're struggling with. We want to know ways that you're celebrating the work of God. We want to be there for you in a way that, as Jeremy Rennie would put it, we smell like sheep. We've been around you. Not only do we need to know our people, know what they're going through, know their lives and their circumstances, we need to love them like Jesus loves them. Loving our people like Jesus loves them means putting aside our own personal hurt. That when people speak of us in poor manners, we need to be able to look at them like those that are in care of the great shepherd and who who have been called, we have been called to care for them in that same manner, to love them even if they want to hurt us in those moments. Even if they can't trust us in those moments to know that our care toward them is like a shepherd leading their sheep and saying, here's what God says, here's who he is, he loves you, he is there with you, I'm here with you, I love you too. Brother elders, we also need to guard our people. We need to guard them from the thieves that are going to come in and enter by the wrong way, jump over the fences and try to disrupt the people. So we know that that looks like a a great picture of many things. Maybe false teaching, maybe deception, maybe division. Maybe their own sinfulness and our own sinfulness. In the midst of all of that, we need to be able to be those that love, guard, and know the sheep. And in this final application for for you guys, for the church, is this, is that as you look at your leaders... I want to tell you, don't idolize them and don't reject them. Don't idolize them in such a way where you look to them as as Jesus. We are not Jesus in the flesh. But don't reject us in the sense of we are those that are striving to serve the Lord and glorify him. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Our aim is to follow Jesus and to set an example to the church body for those that would live a life that's glorifying to God. We don't do that perfectly, but look to us as examples. So the good shepherd knows, guards, and leads the sheep. The way that he ultimately does this is pictured for us in verses 11 through 18. Because the good shepherd gives up his life for the sheep. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, the hired hand. Since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep, but I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. There will be one flock, one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. 
No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I've received this command from my Father. Jesus, again, gives us a portrait of the good shepherd versus the hired hand. The hired hand, if we look at that first, is one when conflict, when trouble arises, does not stay with the sheep, but he leaves the sheep to themselves. So what he is saying to the Pharisees here is, here's an example directly of what they're doing. John 9, here's the blind man who has been healed by the Lord, and when they're confronted by this news, what do they do? They cast him out of the community rather than bring him into the community to care for him. Uh, Trouble arises. They're looking for trouble. They're trying to create trouble with Jesus, and instead of actually embracing the care of God's people, what they do is they reject it and they push it out because they'd rather have the people around them that would do what they want to do. When trouble comes, they just leave the sheep on their own. But the good shepherd is the shepherd who, when he sees trouble coming, he doesn't just sit there and watch it happen. He intervenes. He jumps in. The good shepherd. In fact, in this passage, three times, Jesus says that he's going to lay down his life and take it back up again. He's emphasizing for them a picture of what's to come later in the gospel where Jesus will actually go to the cross, where he will actually die, where he will actually be buried, and where he will resurrect from the dead. He's saying, I'm going to do what's required to ultimately lead my people in the way that they are right with the Father. And what does the Father think of this? Uh, Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. God's plan to redeem his people is to lay down the life of the shepherd. Now, Jesus doesn't just do this because he's obligated to. He doesn't just do this because somebody else has told him to do this. Notice what it says in verse 18. No one takes it from me. No one takes my life from me. I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it back up. I have received this command from my Father. Yes, the Father has brought about this plan. And Jesus willingly takes up the plan to lay down his life and take it back up for the sheep. That's why he can say that the Father loves me. He obeys the Father's command and he fulfills what we need in order to be right with God. All of this points to not only the work of Jesus, but notice the relationship that Jesus has with the sheep and with the Father. I know my own, and my own know me. This work of Jesus dying and raising again is not a work that is totally outside of a relationship. It's completely within a relationship that he has with us and a relationship that he has with God the Father. There's one theologian, he said this, I thought it was really helpful. The relationship of Jesus to his flock is like the relationship of the Father to the Son. 
in the good shepherd, we have one who knows us better. One who knows us every time we have hated. Everything we have contemplated. The filth we have articulated. And he loves us anyway. No one has been with us longer than Jesus. Who with the father knitted us together in the womb of our mother. No one has been truer to us than Jesus. Telling us what we did not want to hear. Always true to the truth. No one has shown more commitment to our good than Jesus. He traveled further to redeem us, suffered more indignity, endured greater pain, made better promises, and in every way shown himself worthy of all we have and are. And to him we owe no one more. We can have no suspicions about the motives or intentions of Jesus. We cannot distrust him. We cannot resent him. The love we have for Jesus ought to be the nearest thing that there is to crystal clear purity in this murky world. This world is full of uncertainty, but we can be certain about Jesus. His body and blood bought our lives. His body and blood bear us up on the journey to the land where he is king. This is our shepherd. This is our friend. This is the one who knows us, the one who lays down his life from us. All that is required of anyone who would be loved by him is that they turn to Jesus from their sin. This is Jesus. He comes to lay down his life. He comes because he knows us, he loves us, and he cares for us. And he comes as one who gives us the greatest care. And to him, what do we owe? Our repentance and faith. Our trust. Friends, in a world of church hurt, in a world where we're going to fail each other, the one that we owe the greatest trust is the Lord himself. So why do church leaders exist? Why are we here? Not to enter into that place for you, but to point you to the one who's there with you in all of the hurt, all of the joy, in every emotion of your life, to say, here's the shepherd. Here's the one who cares. Here's the one who leads. Here's the one who guards and protects. Here's the one we need to trust. And how do the people respond? Well, verses 19 and 20, and even into 21, show us again that these people that Jesus is confronting don't fully understand, do they? Verse 19, right again, the Jews were divided over these words. Many of them were saying he has a demon, he's crazy. Why do you listen to him? It's the same thing that they've said in chapter 9 and again even in chapter 8. Why would you listen to this guy? He's got a demon. He's crazy. He means evil. But others are saying, these aren't the words of someone who Is demon-possessed? Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? As Jesus reveals himself to the Pharisees and as he reveals himself to us this morning through this passage, notice how he is leaving us to make a decision. To make a, a decision of faith here. To say, okay, do we believe or do we not? Do we believe that this is true and do we have faith in him? 
Or do we look at this and go, he's full of demons and craziness and we're just going to avoid the situation and just deal with it in another way? Well, I hope that the text leads you to where you should be, right? And that should be having faith in who Jesus is and what he has said and what he has done. But I also know that there's the reality of life. That as we've been through experiences, as we have seen people who have led us in ways to show faithfulness to God, we can look back and we can celebrate the great gift that they were to our faith. We can also look at those who meant very good but were sinners and fell in their sin and wouldn't repent of their sin and brought us great harm. And we look at that and say, well, what was that like in their shepherding? How can we trust these people again? Ultimately, friend, being a Christian involved in a church isn't necessarily about liking all of the key leaders. It's about trusting Jesus. It's about trusting Jesus as we trust him together. Now, you're going to run into situations where you're going to hear Joe. You're going to hear Caleb. You're going to hear other preachers, and you're going to go, man, they were way more articulate than Jordan was this past week. And I'm going to go praise the Lord. <laughs> Not because it relieves me of any like, responsibility, but because it makes me go, look at the diversity and how God is raising up people to work within the body for our good. The shepherds of this church are also sheep within this church. I love sitting underneath their preaching. It's a great joy for my heart, my life, to look at them and go, man, I've put great investment in these brothers, but look at how the Lord has worked within them. Look at how the Lord is using them. Look at how the Lord is raising them up. Look at how he's using our church. So there are going to be times where you're like, yeah, we got better preachers than the main preacher. Praise God. That's a good gift to us. But there's also distinct ways that these brothers are also going to be helpful to you in the fact that they shepherd with me. Shepherding is not a solo task. It's not one in which I get to do all of the work of pastoring. You can ask these guys, hey, how many, like, you get a lot of calls and texts during the week, don't you? A majority of them are funny gifts and memes. I understand that. But we talk a lot about how to serve the church, how to, how to better handle the word, what's going on at the church, don't we? Yep. And sometimes you guys are bringing things up to me like, look at this camera footage of some weird thing that happened at the church or at my house. Uh, what do I do with this? <laughs> sometimes I, I've been amazed even at times where I've thought, man, I really need to check in on this person. And when I go to check in with them, they go, Joe or Caleb has already reached out to me. And man, we're just so thankful for them. And I just pause and go, thank God. Thank God that we have shepherds who care about the sheep who know them, that love them, that want to guard them. And there are going to be times where we're, we're not going to do the best in that. We've been confronted with that reality more than once, where we've fallen short of caring for people. But ultimately, we want to trust you in the care of the Lord. So all of this landing on what? Trust in the one who is the good shepherd, who's way more perfect than any of us could ever be. Know that he knows you, he loves you, he cares for you, and he guards you. And while we endeavor to do that ourselves, we entrust you to the one 
who can hold you better than we can. We love you guys dearly in the Lord. We are here for you. And we want to ask you to pray for us and with us as we serve God in shepherding together for his glory. May we do so in a way that that brings him glory and is faithful to what we see in the example of Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus, who is the great shepherd, who leads us better than we could ever lead ourselves. God, thank you that you have given us great examples of leaders who have been good for our faith, who have invested in us. God, thank you for the experiences of even the hurt that we have been through as we have dealt with hurt and hurting others. God, you've used these circumstances for our good to build us up, to show us our need for Christ. May we trust in you, our great shepherd, to lead us, to guard us, to protect us, to teach us. We thank you for laying down your life for us so that we may have life with you for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Pray. Okay. So, guys, we're going to spend some time in um, groups praying right now. So I want to encourage you to just get around with a few other people. I'm going to give you a couple of prayer prompts. So why don't you go ahead, the four or five people that are around you, let's circle up, let's pray. Uh, We're going to spend some time praying over the following things. I want to ask you first to pray for your elders. Pray for your elders as we shepherd the church, that we would do so in a way that's faithful and a way that we grow in our care for the church. I want to second ask you to pray for each other as you care for one another. Belonging to the church is not just having shepherds that are elders that care for you, but actually caring for one another. That's why we have a church covenant here where we admonish one another to exercise brotherly care, brotherly sisterly care. So pray for growing in your love for one another and your care for each other. And then I'm going to ask Joe to come up at the end and pray for our church body as we seek to serve the Lord in these things. So let's go ahead. Let's get together with a few people and pray for our elders who are doing the work of caring for the church and for each other as we do that work in caring for one another. Okay, let's go.
Lord, we come before you knowing that you hear our words. God, knowing that when we pray, you're a God that listens. And I pray, Lord, that this morning as we focus on the words of Christ, Lord, that we would take our lives, Lord, and make them purposeful to glorify you. Lord, I pray that your words would lift us in a way that we could represent you. God, we pray that your voice would be clear to us. God, when those that come into the church to destroy us and to persecute, Lord, that your words would be clear to us, that we could distinguish those who are not in the flock and those that are in the flock. God, we thank you for the leadership that you give us. God, that you are the great shepherd, that we can find comfort and rest in you. Lord, that you are going to protect us until the end, that you hold us to you until the end. Lord, I know that you hear us this morning. I just pray that we would continue through this week focusing on you. Lord, being in your word, and that we'd continue our prayers to you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.